1 John chapter 2. Um, open, open there if you have your Bible. I really want to encourage you to use your Bible. I'll put the scriptures on the screen, but there's just something about reading God's Word and having it in your hand. I just want to encourage you, if you have your Bible, to open there this morning. 1 John was written by the Apostle John. Um, at the time of writing, he is now the last uh, of Jesus' original 12 disciples who was still alive. All the other apostles have been martyred for their faith. We know that from church history, that many of them paid uh, for their faith with their own lives, that they, they were martyred for their faith. They would not stop preaching about Jesus and the resurrection and who Jesus was, and it cost them their own lives. John is now the last living apostle, and he writes to encourage a group of believers. He writes to encourage a church that has been through a difficult season. And as we get into the text this morning, we will see uh, what it is about this uh, difficult season that they've been in. And so what I want to do this morning is I just want to jump right in. I'm going to read the whole passage. It's about uh, nine verses this morning. I'm going to read the whole passage, and then we'll pray, and we'll jump in, and we'll start digging through it uh, together. And here's what I know. I know that God has a word for you this morning. There, there is a word for you in this text this morning. As, as we were worshiping this morning and, and I, as I was praying um, as we worship, I really felt like the Lord put it on my heart that this might be the most significant word to come across this pulpit this year. So you better pay attention this morning. Thank you, Roger. I, I, I do believe that this, this might be the most significant that doesn't mean you don't have to come back next week or the following weeks or the rest of the year. It doesn't mean that you're good. But, but there, there is an important message that God has put on my heart and that is in this text that needs to be communicated this morning. And so let, let's, let's be paying attention to this today. Uh, let's read. Uh, second, first John chapter 2, verse 18. Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard, that Antichrist is coming. So now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you have knowledge I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you received from him abides in you. And you have no need that anyone should teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. We thank you that it is God-breathed, that it is God-inspired. Lord, that these are your words to us. Lord, that you uh, uh, oversaw the, the, the writing of the Bible. You oversaw the writing of Scripture. You inspired these words to be written for us so that we could, could walk in truth and not lie, that we could walk uh, in truth and not error, that we would not be deceived by those that would try to lead us astray. 
Lord, help us to to have ears to hear uh, what your word is saying today. Holy Spirit, we open up our hearts to receive from you today. I pray that you would be our teacher and instructor, that you would make this book that you wrote come alive, Lord, in our hearts as we live it out each and every single day, that you would be glorified in our lives, that Jesus would be praised and his name exalted, and the fact and the truth and the reality of who he is and what he came to do and what he will do when he returns, that it would be made manifest through our lives as your church in this community and to the ends of the earth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We could dismiss after that. Okay. Here's what we're talking about today. We're talking about truth and lies. We're talking about truth and lies. And there is truth and there are lies. You need to know this. You need to know that there is truth and that there are lies. It matters what you believe. It matters. It matters what you believe. What you believe matters. From here on out, the rest of what I have to say is going to be incredibly offensive, FYI. In our current political climate of political correctness, I'm going to offend every sensibility of political correctness this morning, okay? Because I'm going to call truth, truth, and I'm going to call lies, lies today. And so, there's okay, great. So what I have to say today is offensive, quote unquote, um, in... the the culture and the climate that we live. Because we live in a world that says the prevailing idea and thought is it doesn't matter what you believe. It doesn't matter. That you can believe what you want to believe and you can believe what you want to believe when we all can believe whatever we want and can be totally different and it doesn't matter. In fact, we live in a world today that says you can believe whatever you want to believe even about your own gender. That, that a male and female is not defined by your body parts or genetics or biology or your chromosomes, that, that your gender is defined by what you want to believe about it. That's the world in which we live. The, the, this idea of you can believe whatever you want to believe and it doesn't matter, it has come so pervasive that people just flat out deny the truth. And it's everywhere, all the time. It matters what you believe. It matters greatly. There is truth and there is lies. And nothing good comes from believing a lie. Nothing. Nothing good comes from believing a lie. I once dated a girl who lied to me about how old she was. It wasn't my wife. She told me she was one age, and I believed her, and then one day we were out shopping, and her driver's license fell out. And I looked at it, and I did some quick math in my head. I said, something's not adding up here. There's some numbers missing. The birth year was closer to my mother than mine. I was very, I'm joking, I'm joking. It wasn't, it felt, it it wasn't that extreme, but it felt that extreme to me. Very soon after that, the relationship ended. Not because of the age, not because of the number, but because of the lie. Because if you can lie to me about your age, what else can you lie to me about? A relationship has to be built on trust. Nothing good comes from believing lies. And and the the, the gamut of consequences can go from, from a mild annoyance to completely and totally destructive. So a mild annoyance would be, I saw an infomercial that said this chop wizard would be the last tool in my kitchen that I ever needed. So I bought six of them, one for me and my five brothers and my mom, and before we even put it together, they all broke, right? Like, that's a mild inconvenience. But there are other lies that will lead to total destruction in your life. You have an enemy of your soul, Satan. He's out to steal, kill, and destroy from you. And he is working through lies. What you believe matters. We're lied to all the time. Not a day goes by that we're not misled or lied to in one way or another. Drink Coke, it'll solve all your problems. Take this little blue pill, it'll solve all your problems. Take this green pill to fix all the problems the blue pill called, caused. It'll solve all your problems, right? 
We, we live in a world that, that is full of lives, lies, some mildly inconvenient, some eternally destructive. And so what John is writing about in this passage is the most dangerous and destructive lies that exist, lies about Jesus, lies about Jesus. I want us to go back to verse 18. I want us to go back to verse 18. He says, children, the last hour is here, the last hour or the last days. I want you to know we're living in the last days. Today, we are alive in the last days. The last days or the last hour, it actually started when Jesus rose from the dead. That, that's when the last days started. This idea of last days is not a measurement of time or a length of time. It's a kind of time. It's a type of time. The, the only thing left to happen, the only major world event in, in humanity to happen is the return of Christ. The return of Christ is what all creation is waiting for. This is, this is what will end uh, uh, the, the age that we're living in, the last days. God has been working through human history ever since creation, the fall, uh, calling Abraham, making a covenant with him, calling his own people, the nation of Israel, establishing them, bringing his Messiah on scene. He lived, he died, he rose again, he's seated right now at the hand of the Father, and he is waiting for the signal to return. That is the last event. There's, there's, no more other, there's no other events in the progression of salvation in God's timetable in history that need to take place. We are living in the last hour, the last days. I have people ask me all the time, Pastor, do you think we're living in the last days? Yes, absolutely. We are living in the last days. We've been living in the last days, in the last hour, for the last 2,000 years. Well, when do you think Jesus will return? I don't know. I'm not on the planning committee, all right? I'm on the welcoming committee. When he gets here, yay, but I don't know when he's coming. I don't know when he's coming. So I have to be ready all the time. And, and you know, whether I'm alive when he comes or I die and go meet him face to face, I have to be ready because I don't know when that can be. Life is short. I, I don't know, we, we don't know how long we have here on the earth. We might think we have 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 97 years like dear precious brother Beatles. We don't know how long we're gonna have. 100 years, 110 years like brother Beatles. We don't know. Our life could be called at any moment. It could be tonight. We don't know, we have to be ready. We're living in the last days, the last hour. And he says, you have heard that Antichrist is coming. So now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know it is the last hour. Now, this word Antichrist, it describes three things. We typically think of the third one the most, but it's actually the first two that we need to pay attention to. The first thing that Antichrist describes, it is a spirit that is at work in the world today that opposes Jesus, God, and Christ. It is a spirit. Primarily, this antichrist spirit opposes and denies Christ. It's the spirit of Satan that's at work in the world today. The second thing the word antichrist describes is false teachers who embody this spirit, and they themselves oppose Christ and Jesus and deny him. The third is this person, this singular person that we read about in the book of Revelation, who will head up the final world, worldwide rebellion against Christ. And so there's always this talk of, I wonder if he's the Antichrist, or if he's the Antichrist, or if this person's the Antichrist. And it's, it's done thinking in that third category, this person who will rise to prominence and lead all of the world in a worldwide rebellion against Jesus. But we need to be on guard against the first two. The spirit that's at work in the world today that denies Jesus is working up and against and opposed to Jesus. And then false teachers who are embody this spirit, they're not filled with the Holy Spirit of God, and they're leading people astray and into error. And that second category and the first category is the one that John has in, in a view as he sits down to write this. 
To be anti-Christ is to be against Jesus. And to be against him being the Savior, against him being the Son of God. It's against him being the one way to the Father. And it is well at work in the world today. It is well at work in the world today. Take a stand for Jesus Christ and watch the Antichrist spirit come out. Watch it come out of your coworkers, watch it come out of your family, watch it come out of the place that you wouldn't even think this Antichrist spirit that's at work in the world today. It is at work, it is in our lives. We must be aware of it. Sometimes we think that Christ is Jesus' last name, but it's not. It's not like Matthew Bell or John Smith, right? It's not, oh, Jesus Christ. It's not his last name. It wasn't on his birth certificate, Jesus Christ. Christ is a title. Christ is a position. Like we have a president of the United States. It is a position and a title. President Trump is our president today. It's like saying uh, Christ Jesus. It is, a, it is a position and it is a title. It's not part of his name. And so to be anti-Christ is to be against Jesus as the Savior, Jesus as the Messiah. That's what that word Christ means. It means the anointed Savior, Son of God. And to, to be anti-Christ is to deny the divinity of Jesus. It is to deny the totality of who Jesus was. It is to deny that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the Savior, that he is the Son of God, died for the sins of the world, risen again to give new life to his church. It is to be opposed to that message. That's what it means to be anti-Christ. And he goes on to say in verse 19 that they, these anti-Christ false teachers, they went out from us but they were never of us. He says that they, they started within Christianity. They came to church, they were baptized, they took communion, but they left. They went out from us because they were not of us. They, they didn't truly believe that Jesus was the Christ. They, they, they came and they, they participated in our fellowship but when we took a stand on the word of God and when we took a stand with, on, on that which we have heard from the beginning, when we took a stand as a church about, about who Jesus is and his person and his work, they said, we're going a different way because we believe something else about Jesus. He says, they started with us, but they went out from us. Because if they had been of us, they would have continued with us but they went out that it might become plain that they were not of us. There were false teachers within the church. Do you know that the majority of the New Testament is written uh, to, to refute false teaching that had arisen within the church within the first century? That the majority of the, the letters that are written is written by the apostles to bring clarity this is what we believe. This is what we believe about Jesus. This is the message that we have received that we are giving to you. It is to ref refute the false teaching that was creeping into the church. And let me tell you, if, if there was false teaching creeping into the church 30, 40, 50 years after Christ was on the earth, why do we think that there isn't false teaching trying to infiltrate the church today? False teaching, false teachers that try to lead people astray into destruction, this isn't something new. This is, in fact, an old problem. Satan is a counterfeiter. He, he tries to take what is true, he twists it a little bit, he changes it a little bit, and then he leads people into destruction. This is how he works. There are false teachers in the world today uh, that, that claim to be Christian, they claim to be filled with God's Spirit, and they are not. They're filled with the spirit of the Antichrist. We have to be on guard. Paul writing about false teachers in 2 Corinthians. He says, for, for such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Satan doesn't show up and say, hey, I want to lead you to hell. 
hey, I'm here to, you know, hop on the hearse that's going to hell. We're all just going to burn for all eternity. Come on. That's not what he does. He shows up and he dangles something attractive in front of you. It's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. It's going to be, you're going to enjoy it, you know, blah, blah, blah. All the, you know, I can't think of anything not scandalous to say, so. <laughs> it, it, come on, come on, come on. And on the other end, it's, it's bait, and on the other end, it's a hook that will pull you and lead you. This is how Satan works, as an angel of light disguising himself. Verse 15, 2 Corinthians eleven fifteen. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds, he says. It might go well with them now. They might be able to build a big movement, a big church now. But when Christ returns, their end will correspond to their deeds, he says. You need to know that there are false teachers in the world today claiming to be Christian who are not. Just because it says Christian on it doesn't mean it's Christian. Just because, now here's where I'm going to get offensive, just because it's on Christian TV doesn't mean it's Christian. Just because it's sold in Christian bookstores doesn't mean it's Christian. There are false teachers in the world actively trying to work and lead you down a pathway of destruction. They started with us, but they went out from us, yet they still claim to be Christian. This is what defines a false teacher. This is also what will define the cults, the Christian cults, that we, as we call them. Jehovah's Witness and Mormonism. These are not Christian. They started as Christian, but they started believing something else about Jesus. And so when that happens, you're not a Christian anymore. You're something else. Now, if, now if, you go, if you go to, uh, you know, if, if one of them rides up on their bike to your house or comes knocking at your door, you know, knock, knock, knock. Hi, we're from, you know, Kingdom Hall of Jehovah's Witness. We're here to tell you about Jesus Christ. And you ask them, are you a Christian? What will they say? Yes, we're a Christian. No, they're not. They believe in a different Jesus. Jehovah's Witness believes that Jesus is not the creator God, but that he is a created being that he is the angel, the archangel Michael, and that he is Lucifer's brother. That's not this Bible's Jesus. Mormonism doesn't believe that God became a man. Mormons believe that, God, that, that a man became God, that Jesus wasn't God become a man, that Jesus was a man who, following the teachings of Mormonism, became a God, and that he received the planet Earth as his planet, and that all of you, following the teachings of Joseph Smith and the Book of Mormon, can one day become your own God and have your own planet. That's something different. And even though they call themselves Christian, they're not. It's very confusing for some people. You see, if you go to a Hindu and ask them, are you a Christian? They'll say, no, we're not a Christian. If you go to a Muslim and say, are you a Christian? No, we're not a Christian. A Buddhist, a Taoist, are you a Christian? No, we're not a Christian. But you go to some of these others, that's why we call them cults. They are Christian cults. They do not believe what faithful Christians for the last 2,000 years have believed. They started with us, but they went out from us because they were never of us. They were never of us, John says. So there's a group of people that have left. They've come under the spirit of Antichrist, and they have left the faith. They have left the fellowship. John goes on to say in uh, verse 20, but you have been anointed by the Holy One and have all knowledge. So there, there are false teachers. They're, they're out there spreading lies. We have to be on guard. How, how do we not fall into the trap that they set for us? We have to know that we are filled with the Holy Spirit. That there is an anointing from God that is on the believer's life. The Bible says that if, if you profess Christ, that, that you have the Holy Spirit of God living with inside of you. That anyone who does not profess that Jesus is a Christ, that he does not have the Holy Spirit. 
It's the Holy Spirit who opens our eyes and our understanding to know that Jesus is the Christ. It's only through a work of the Father drawing us, the Holy Spirit opening our eyes, Jesus saving us, that we're saved by God's grace. So we have the anointing of the Holy Spirit alive, the Holy Spirit alive inside of us. We don't have to go to some guru or somebody who has some new take on Jesus or some new anointing to pass out and give out. I have the anointing. It comes straight from God. Hello? I don't have to stand in some line and have somebody impart some special anointing to me. I have the anointing from the Holy One. Hello? I don't need some guru with some special revelation, some new take, some new spin on God's word to tickle my ears. This is where many people are led astray. Many people are led astray. Listen, I said this a couple weeks ago. If it's new, it's probably not true. We've been at this for 2,000 years. If, if, if you discover or are going to some place or listening to some teacher that says they found something new, why would God withhold from his people, his children, some special revelation for 2,000 years? I told you I was going to be offensive today. You have the Holy One, you've been anointed, and you have all knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. 22, who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. To deny the Son, to deny what the Word teaches about the Son, to deny the divinity of the Son, to deny that Jesus is the Christ, it is to deny God. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The Bible says that the fullness of God dwelled bodily in Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I and the Father are one. You you can't separate the two. If you deny that Jesus is the Christ, you, you deny God himself. So what does denial of Jesus look like? Well, it looks like rejecting what he said about himself. Jesus said, I'm God. Before Abraham was, I am. I am the God, the creator God. That's who I am. Jesus said, I am here. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. To, To deny Jesus is to deny the teaching of Jesus and what Jesus said about himself. That's what it looks like to deny that Jesus is the Christ. Rejecting who he said he was. Denial is the opposite of faith. It's the opposite of belief. We are only saved by grace through faith, believing in the Son of God. If we reject the Son, we reject the eternal life that he brings. How can I expect to have eternal life if I reject the author and giver of life? Jesus is the only way to be made right with God. The biblical and historic Jesus is the only way to be made right with God. It's important to define these things because if you talk to, as I have many times, people who are caught up in these false beliefs and you ask them, do you believe in Jesus? They'll say, yes, we do. But it's not this Jesus. It's not the Jesus of the Bible. It's not who God has revealed in his word who Jesus is. The Bible says that Jesus is the one true and living God. That Jesus is the creator. He is not a created being. That this God entered into humanity, entered into history as the man Jesus Christ. 
that Jesus Christ lived without sin, never once breaking God's law, lived a perfect and righteous life, and that Jesus himself willingly offered up his life on the cross, shedding his blood in place of sinners, that sinners could be saved from their sin. Jesus on the cross died for sin, took on his back the penalty of your sin and my sin. Not his sin, because he had none. He died physically. On the third day, Jesus rose bodily from the dead. In victory, defeating Satan, sin, death, and hell. Amen. 50 days later, this Jesus rose, ascended to be seated at the right hand of God the Father. And one day soon, this Jesus will return to judge the world, the living and the dead. This is the Jesus who can save you. Any other Jesus can't save you. Lose any part of this and you're, you're following another Jesus. There are so many today who would try to, to, to deny the divinity of Christ. They'll say, well, Jesus was a good teacher. He was a good man. He, he had some moral things to say. He was a great example. Let me tell you, Jesus was not just a great example. Jesus is the creator. The Bible says. If we reduce Jesus to just some moral example, that Jesus cannot save. If I, if I say the Jesus I serve is not the creator, but is the, the spirit child of, of God and is the half-brother of Lucifer, that's a different Jesus. If I see that Jesus was not God become a man, but was man become a God, that's a different Jesus. That Jesus does not save. It can't, he cannot save. He is not real. It's a different gospel. There are many who say they believe in Jesus, yet they deny these biblical doctrines. They believe in a false Jesus, a false gospel which cannot save. We need the real Jesus. We need the real Jesus. He goes on to say in verse 24, let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. Let the word of God abide in you. Let the message of the gospel abide in you. Let this message about the true Jesus live in you, abide in you. Take up residence in you. If what you heard from the beginning, this message, God's word, if what you heard from the beginning abides in, the, in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he has made to us, eternal life. Verse 26, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. Listen, there are those who are working actively to bring deception to God's people. You need to know that there are people trying to deceive you, trying to twist the truth. Active at work, disguised as Christians, selling books as Christians, releasing music as Christians, trying to deceive you. He says, I write these things to you about those trying to deceive you, but the anointing that you have received from him, the Holy Spirit abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is, oh, is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. We don't have to go to some guru who has some special revelation or some special anointing. We have the anointing of God, the Holy Spirit of God living, residing inside of us. And he is our teacher Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice, and they follow me. So how do we, in, in, the, in a world where we have access, unprecedented access to all kinds of teaching, 
that would claim to be Christian and claim to be Bible and claim to be faithful? How do we know and discern truth from lies? That's an important question. How do we know what is true and what is false? How do we know what is genuine, the real thing, and what is counterfeit? He tells us in this verse, we have to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. We have an anointing, it's from the Holy Spirit. This anointed one, the Messiah, has sent his spirit to live inside of us. The spirit of Christ. So how do we then discern truth from ever, from error? As he says, we let the word of God abide in us. It's all about the word, folks. It's all about the word. You gotta be in the word. You gotta be studying the word. You gotta be reading the word. You gotta be talking about the word with your friends and family. You need to know the word. How do you, how do you discern truth from lies? You let the word abide in you. That means to live, to take up residence, to transform your heart. What does this look like? It looks like reading the Bible, studying the Bible, praying through the Bible. It's learning to, to listen to that still small voice in prayer, in relationship with God. It's getting in community with other believers who are doing the same, studying the word, reading the word, praying for one another. This is how we abide. It is a lifestyle. It's not a New Year's resolution. It's not, oh, yeah, I'll get back to reading the Bible in January. Get back to reading the Bible at one o'clock today. It's daily. It's moment by moment. It's faced in this book. And let me just encourage you as a way of practical advice, put your phone away. I know we have access to God's word on our phone. I thank God for that. I praise God for that. I use it all the time. But the majority of the time I spend in God's word is in a book because I'm so distracted by this stuff. I get a text, I get a poke, I get a like, I get a tweet. CNN, the world's falling apart, you know all these notifications like it's so distracting how could I ever hear God's voice I gotta I gotta open a book let me just encourage you practically read a physical Bible I know that might make me sound like a Neanderthal or Amish or whatever I promise you I don't have a horse-drawn carriage out there I don't make my wife churn butter we don't make our own clothes okay like we thank God for technology. They're wonderful tools, but we must master them and not let them master us. And so it, from time to time, I gotta turn it off, put it in a drawer, and open this book. Amen. The Holy Spirit will warn you of false teachers if you're paying attention. If you're paying attention, if you're on guard, if you're, if you're praying, and if you're in the Word. Listen to this very carefully. The Holy Spirit will never disagree with the Word He has written. The Holy Spirit will never disagree with the Word He has written. God's Word is above every other word. There's nobody, nobody who can, who can say, I've got a, a word from God that's different than what's right here. The minute they do, you've got to put them in the false teacher bucket. You've got to have a bucket, false teacher. You throw them in there. Now, we use this carefully. We, we can't be going around and just labeling everybody a heretic and a false teacher and just everybody's in there. But we also need to not have a bucket that has a lid on that nobody goes in there. There's truth and there's lies. The Holy Spirit will warn you. But you gotta be in the word, you gotta know the word. 
The Holy Spirit will not disagree with the scriptures that he has written. We test everything by the inspired word of God. We test it. We, we... I, I... One of the marks of a false teacher is someone who discredits the Bible or calls into question the authority of God's word. I recently was having a debate with a friend about a secondary issue. Um, you know, not talking about these primary issues of Jesus and who he is. And we were having another debate. There's lots of, of room for debate within Christianity. Right? We, we can talk about, you know, how long should a service be? How loud should the music be? How often should we take communion? Once a, every service, you know, once a month, once a year. How should we do baptism? Should we baptize infants? You know, how often should we pray together? There's so much within Christianity that we can debate about and, and have distinctions about. And those are important issues. Those are secondary issues. They're secondary, but they're important. But we're still part of the same family. It's not that I can say, you know, as someone who is a charismatic and believes in the gifts of the Spirit, if someone leaves Destiny Church and goes to a Baptist church, I can't say, well, they went out from us because they were never of us, and now they've gone over to the Baptist. That's not what I'm saying. Within Christianity, there are different faithful denominations. We have doctrinal distinctions that should not be doctrinal divisions. They are important, but they shouldn't divide the body of Christ. But what all Christians are united on are these closed-handed issues about who God is, who his son is, and what he's come to do. All Christians believe these things. So I was having a debate with a friend of mine who is a believer. We share this in common. This is the most important thing. But it was a debate about a secondary issue. And so later on that day, he sent me a link. Here, you got to hear this message that this pastor preached. Okay, great. I'll download this message. Listening to it. This is how the pastor started his message. He says, I want you to open to the book of 1 Corinthians. You hear all the pages turning. Now, there's been, he says, there's been a lot of misunderstanding about the book of Corinthians. And as I was praying, God showed me something new. Now, he says, I want you, if you're from Corinth, I want you to raise your hand. Nobody, oh, nobody's from Corinth here today? Well, let me tell you something. This, this book of 1 Corinthians was written to people who live in Corinth. And so the things that are written here, they, they only apply to the people in that time, in that space. And so it doesn't apply to you here today. I hit stop on that thing. I text my friend, you're listening to a heretic. You're listening to a false teacher. I don't even need to listen to the rest of whatever that thing was he was about to do. It's not a sermon. He's not preaching about Jesus. He, my friend back, oh, you're, you're too crazy. You're so hardcore. You bet your britches I'm hardcore about this stuff. <laughs> Why would any faithful man of God stand in a pulpit and open God's word and say, let me tell you why you don't have to do what this says? Why would anybody do that unless he was about to try to get you to do something different than what this says? It's insane. If I told you the name of this church, I bet you half the people in here have heard of it. No, I'm not going to. If you want to know, I'll come tell you afterwards. I, I don't, yeah, I'm, I, don't, I don't believe in doing that from the pulpit. The Bible is all about Jesus, amen? Yeah. 
from, from the beginning to the end, at the end of Luke, Luke chapter 24, Jesus is about to ascend into heaven. He pulls his disciples together and he says, listen, I'm going to explain to you everything written about me in the law of Moses, in the prophets, and the Psalms. He says, all of the Old Testament scripture was about me. It's all pointing to me. It all foreshadows me. It's all talking about who I am, what I came to do. All of the Old Testament's about me. And guess what all the New Testament is about? It's about Jesus too. It's about the work that he did and how we live in light of it and what he's going to do when he returns. All of this book is all about Jesus. Amen. So anybody who comes and tries to undermine this book, that is antichrist spirit at work. This book is about Jesus. If someone comes and attacks this book, it is an antichrist spirit. It, it, we are people of the book, ladies and gentlemen. We are people of the word. We are shaped by the word. The word is the highest authority. The, the moment we lose this, we lose everything. There are many, many. I could go down a list of Bible, quote unquote, Bible teachers who started with us, but they left. And they're teaching something different. A different Jesus, a different Christ, a different way to heaven. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, and it is at work today. When I listen to anything, me, Matt Bell, when Matt Bell listens to anything, I'm constantly listening for the voice of the Holy Spirit. And I'm running everything they say through the filter of what I know of God's word. It's, it's constant. I do not turn it off, ever. Constantly evaluating. This is what God's word says. Is what he's saying, is that lining up with it? Yep, check, 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 check. Constantly. I, I, I do not turn it off. There, <laughs> this is where I'm going to get really offensive. There is a, there, there is this idea, mm, I don't know. So there is Listen, we as Christians, we have to be on guard. We have to be sober. We, we have to have our wits about us. There is an enemy trying to destroy our lives. But, but there is, there is a, 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 a group that there are certain movements that say don't be sober, don't have straight thinking, don't spend your time studying the word, Instead, what you need is to be drunk in the Spirit. Don't be sober-minded. Don't, don't evaluate and judge all things as the Scripture teaches us to do. No, no, just, just receive everything. Just, just, just be drunk in the Spirit. I want you to know that in the Bible, there is nothing that says to be drunk in the Spirit. That, that's not... A biblical teaching. Amen. I'd be happy to be proven wrong if you've got a passage that says so. But here, here's where people get off. Paul writes, Ephesians chapter 6. He says, do not be drunk with wine, where is debauchery or excess, but, but, but is a contrasting word, right? Right? That's a contrasting word. Don't be drunk with wine, but... Be filled with the Spirit. And there are people who take that and twist that and say, we're not supposed to be drunk with wine, we're supposed to be drunk with the Spirit. That's not what it says. It says, don't be drunk with wine. D don't lose your wits about you. Instead, be filled with this anointing from the Holy One who leads you into all truth. The, the, the prevailing message of the New Testament is to be sober-minded. 1 Peter 1.13, preparing your minds for action, be sober-minded. 1 Peter 4.7, I've got a whole list. Go to the next slide. Next one, advance. Down key. Space bar. Enter. Wake up. 1 Peter 1.13, 
Therefore, preparing your minds for action, be sober-minded. 1 Peter 4, 7, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and sober so you can pray. 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober-minded and watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Jesus' own words, Luke 12, 35, be dressed for service and keep your lamps burning. 1 Thessalonians 5, 6, let us not sleep as others do, but let us remain awake and sober. 1 Thessalonians 5, 8, but since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and the helmet of hope of our salvation. 2 Peter 4, 5, but you be sober in all things. Endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Listen, we as Christians have to be on guard. We have to be paying attention. We have to be filtering everything that comes across every pulpit through this book. And if it doesn't line up, we reject it. And if it doesn't line up one time, two time, three time, I reject the teacher. I put them in the, this bucket. I don't want to hear what they have to say if it's not coming from this book. Because I don't need to hear words from men. I need to hear words from God. So I pay, listen, amen. I pay closer attention to something when it claims to be Christian. When something claims to be Christian, man, my radar goes to 10,000. Right, because I know if it's secular, I know it's false. I know it's full of error. I know it's full of lies. When I watch a movie produced by fallen people, right, I, like, hello, I know it's gonna be full of lies. I don't have to be on guard, oh, what's the say? Like, it hits you in the face the moment you turn it on. It's just so obvious, right? I'm more on guard, I pay closer attention when something claims to be Christian. Because I'm, 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 I'm much more susceptible to be led astray if I open up my heart to just anything. And in this day and age that we live where we can get a teaching from this pastor and this pastor and that pastor and that pastor that we don't know, that we can't see their life. It's, I want you to know, it's very easy to say one thing and do another. It's very easy to preach one way and live another. I, I do not, Matt Bell personally, I do not receive anything from someone I do not know. I don't. I don't. I, 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 how, how do, how, how can I, what do I have to evaluate this? I have the word of God, but I, I, I don't know these people. I can't, I can't examine their lives. I can't see the fruit. The Bible says you'll know them by their fruit. Well, how can I see their fruit if they're a million miles away? All right. So I do not open my soul to receive from quote unquote Christian teachers that I do not know personally because I cannot examine their life. That's just me. Now I've got a lot that I do know personally. My wife will tell you, on Sunday nights, you know what I normally do? I put on my TV and I flip through the sermons of my friends. And that Sunday night I spend just getting word from my friends. People that I know know the word. People that I know know Jesus. People that I know are closed-handed on this thing. I'll also flip on other people's sermons. But I don't open my soul to receive it. And she'll tell you many times I'm sitting there saying, that's not true. That's not true. That's not true. And here's why, chapter and verse. Here's why, chapter and verse. Here's why, chapter and verse. We have to be on guard, people. This is what the scripture teaches us. There are false teachers trying to lead you astray to get you to believe something that's not true. There are truth and there are lies. Now, I will say this in closing. There are two kinds of error. There is an error of ignorance and there's an error of deception. There are some people who will, who will preach something that's wrong not to mislead you, but out of their own ignorance. They just don't know. There's actually a, a, 
uh, someone in the Bible who was doing that. His name was Apollos. And you can read about him in Acts chapter 18. He's, he was a young man. He was a great preacher. Uh, some, some faithful men and women named uh, Aquila and Priscilla, they heard him preaching, and then they pulled him aside and they explained to him the way of Christ more fully. He, 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 he wasn't trying to mislead people. He just had some areas that he still needed to grow in. But there are, there are others, though, who are in this other category who are trying to lead people astray, who are under the influence of the Antichrist. And the difference is, here's the difference. When, when someone who is in error is corrected and shown the word of God, do they repent? So you know what? That's right. That's what that teaches. I should, I'm going to change. I'm going to preach this more faithfully and fully. Or do they double down and dig in and say, well, this is how I'm going to do it. That's the difference between ignorance and lies and deception. I've gone way over time today. Um, I will say this about... Since we've already blown it, we might as well go. Um, what about the prophetic word? What about the prophetic word? I believe in the gifts of the Spirit. I do believe in words of wisdom, knowledge, and prophecy. But I also believe what 1 Corinthians 5 teaches, that we should not despise prophecy, yet we hold to what is true. And how do we evaluate what's true and false? I had, a, I, had, I had someone, um, no, nobody from this church, but I had someone recently come and give me a prophetic word. And uh, the first words out of his mouth were wrong, just flat out wrong. And they weren't just wrong situationally, like your wife's name is Beth. It wasn't wrong like that. It wasn't wrong personally, it was wrong doctrinally. Just, just the first words out of the mouth, out of the gate. It was so totally not consistent with this. Now, I know this person, and I know this person to be a, a genuine person of faith who trusts and believes God and knows Jesus. And so I just gently uh, sidestepped and, and said, thank you for that word, but... Here's what the Bible says. We have to be on guard. L listen, if I actually believed what this prophetic, quote-unquote prophetic word was, it would be horrible for me, for my soul, for my marriage, for this church. If I were to just take that and grab that and embrace it and say, that came from God, so that's for me, it, it, it it would be absolutely destructive. Now, I'm not saying that it came from Satan. It probably came from his flesh, but the Bible tells us that there's nothing good with the flesh, that the flesh produces death. So, listen, teachers you hear on the radio, teachers you hear, see on TV, te teachers you see on Facebook, listen, you gotta be checking it. You gotta be checking it. You gotta be listening. You gotta be watchful. You gotta be sober. You gotta be on guard. You gotta be in prayer. You need to be asking the Holy Spirit, is this truth or is this false? Because I don't wanna be led astray and into error. And I don't want you to either. Because I love you. I love you. And I don't wanna see you believe just some of this crazy stuff that's out there is it'll wreak havoc in your family in your soul in your life so I told you I was going to offend you I'm pretty sure I offended everybody in here I think I offended myself six times um, so after that really encouraging message I'm going to invite the ushers to come to receive the offering today <laughs> And as they come, let's pray. Let's pray. Yeah, thank you.
Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that it is alive. That it is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. That it is what divides the soul from spirit. It is what separates truth and lies. Lord, help us to be people of the book. Help us to be people of your word. Let us grow in our love and affection for your word, our love and affection for truth, that we would not be tossed around by every wind of doctrine, but that we would be mature, that we would grow in our faith and our love and our trust of you, Lord, that we would be solidified on these closed-handed issues, Lord, that we would be on guard against the spirit at work in the world today, this antichrist spirit that's at work against you, against Jesus, against your word. Lord, help us to discern. Give us discerning ears. Give us the, the gift of discernment. Lord, if we ever needed it, we need it today like never before. In a day and age where we can hear anyone at any time speaking anything, God, we need to have our ears tuned to your voice as your sheep that we would have a discerning ear. Help us, Lord. Lord, as we uh, give back to you in this time of giving, we do so in obedience to your word that teaches us that you love a cheerful giver, that she teaches us we should support the house, the local church in which we are fed. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to give. Lord, we believe that we are like you when we give because you are the good gift giver. Thank you, God, that you supply all of our needs according to your riches and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.